Well, so our as we bounce back and forth between praise and sorrow, our sermon today is, is from Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 49. Today we're, we're looking at what's known commonly as the Sermon on the Plain, which doesn't mean like an airplane, kids, if that's confusing, not sermon on an airplane, but sermon on like a flat piece of ground, sermon on the plain. It's, uh, it's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, sermon on the Mount is recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In fact, it's so similar that It's so similar that uh, many people wonder if it's not just a condensed reprinting of the exact same sermon. But uh, there are enough details in it, even the circumstances that lead up to it, that, that tell us that, that these are two different sermons. And there's no reason not to believe that. Uh, there's no reason to think that Jesus would not uh, repeat himself uh, in his messages, that he wouldn't uh, use similar illustrations or stories or even points uh, to get across. Um, I'm sure if you've been here a while, I probably have a few go-to uh, sermon illustrations that come back over and over, and some of them you probably are, are quite sick of. Uh, the poop in the brownies. How many more times can we hear about poop and brownies? So, so see, some of you are new, and you're like, I, I need to hear this now. So I'm sorry, that's not in the today's sermon. <laughs> now, back in, in May of 2020, we, uh, we went through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, if you were here with us. And at that time, we, we took a very slow uh, approach, in fact, broke out every beatitude. took us almost a year with some breaks for, for Advent and stuff. We finished it up in uh, February of 2021. Uh, so today, I thought, uh, for this one, since it is shorter, uh, for this one, we would just take in the entire sermon in one sitting. And so, uh, lucky for you, uh, you get a sermon about a sermon today. And so uh, one of them is inspired. The other, I hope, is at least a little inspiring. So with that, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for ye shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets." But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, 
offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from none and from one who takes away your goods. Do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house <clears throat> who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and, and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them hears and does not do them, is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So I think, uh, at least for me, maybe for you, as you have you read it, uh, as I read it just now with you, 
As I read it over and over this week, I was struck with, uh, with two things. Well, one thing over the division of the, the sermon. So first of all, I noticed that the beginning of the sermon is very counterintuitive. Like the beginning of the sermon is very much not what we naturally do. It's very much against, uh, you know, what, what the world would tell us and what we often believe about what's, what, what does blessing look like, what does not being blessed look like, uh, how do you treat people who aren't treating you well. The world has a pretty specific, pretty intuitive answer to those things. And we, and we have bought into that probably more than we ought to have. Jesus comes in with a very counterintuitive answer. But the interesting thing to me is that the second half of the sermon is pretty intuitive. It, it's kind of common sense, isn't it? It's pretty straightforward. You're going you're gonna to have a hard time finding someone who says what the world needs today are more judgmental people. Uh, no one is going to start a, a YouTube showing you how to find figs on thorn bushes. Uh, and there's not very many people who, when they're buying a house, look for a house with no foundation, uh, thinking, you know, that's probably the better way to go. Save a little money on cement. That's good. So some things that we need to keep in mind here as we look at this sermon uh, is to remember that it tells us at the very beginning, in the first, the opening words, that this sermon is preached to his disciples. And again, last week we established not just his 12, but all who, would call, who are following Jesus right now, would call, he would call them all disciples. And there's a, sort of a mixture then, like almost three categories of people that are in this group. So the apostles are there because they've just been called out from among the disciples. Then there's disciples, but then we were also told that there's crowds from all over, just people who are curious, people who are interested Maybe they're coming because they want to prove things wrong, or maybe they're coming uh, just out of a genuine curiosity. But they're not necessarily disciples. But Jesus is preaching specifically to disciples, knowing that others are hearing his words as well. This ought to be, uh, this ought to be on, on Sunday mornings anyway, at least, what what every sermon is geared toward. Uh, For God's disciples, for disciples of Jesus to hear and for others to overhear. And so while there's a great place for evangelistic messages and evangelistic meetings and and being intentional about going and reaching the lost and even preaching to the lost, uh, on Sunday morning, our time together here is for disciples of Christ to come and worship God, and that's what the sermon ought to be for, for helping you to worship God, not just here, but also to apply that to how you would worship God with the rest of your life. So this sermon is not about how do you get into the kingdom. This isn't a list saying this is how you come in. This is a, this sermon on the plane is what does it look like now that you're in the kingdom? Who, who is in the kingdom? What do their lives look like? What, what is your 
attitude look like? What is, what is, how is it that you treat others now that you're a part of the kingdom? What, what are your values? And do they reflect the values of the king? What should you expect? And not everything that you should expect is great. Some of it is reminding you that you should expect to be mistreated in the kingdom, but how should you respond? And so the first couple of points, again, they have to do with the counterintuitive side. What do we consider? Hashtag blessed. And who do you love? And then the last three points come from the more intuitive side. Judgey McJudgerson and his spec patrol, looking for fruit in all the wrong places, and Jesus is my homeboy. So let's look at hashtag blessed first. In verses 20 to 26, Jesus lists out what it looks like to be blessed. And I think it's interesting that he doesn't put it in a future tense. He doesn't say, although you're poor now, you will be blessed. Although you're weeping now, one day you'll be blessed. He says, blessed are you who are poor For yours is the kingdom of God. Yours is right now the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now. You are now hungry and you are right now blessed because you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. Rejoice, leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. This is exactly what their fathers did to the prophets. And then the woes tend to go along with the blessings. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For this is what their fathers did with the false prophets. It's important to remember what, understand what Jesus isn't saying here. He isn't saying pursue poverty, sorrow, hardship, and you'll be blessed. He's, again, he's saying this is, this is what my kingdom looks like. You're already in. Those who are poor are blessed. Those who are hungry are blessed. Those who are weak are blessed. He's also not saying that all of these physical things on the positive side are actually negative. That you can't be, you can't be blessed if you're rich or happy or full. So Abraham and Job were unspeakably wealthy, like undeniably wealthy. Abraham was wealthy enough that he had his own military cohort that could go up against four kings. So he was wealthy. Job was wealthy. Paul and David, yes, we, we see passages where Paul and David are, are weeping and, and sorrowful over things, but there are also passages where, where Paul and David have unspeakable joy. 
They are filled with joy. They are delighted in their lives and what Christ has done or what Christ will do. They are, they are happy, genuinely. Timothy, we're told, had a good report among people. In fact, Paul tells us that when you look for elders or deacons, look for men who have a good reputation in the town. And so it can't be, woe to you, because people think well of you. There's more to what he's saying than just, this is good, this is bad, you thought it was the other way, you're wrong, so avoid this, embrace this. No, he's, but more what he's saying is, when you are rich, it's hard to see your need. When you are happy, it's hard to recognize your need. Why are the poor and the hungry and the weeping blessed? Because they know they're hopeless. The poor know they need help from outside of themselves or life will remain hopeless. The hungry know they need someone to help them else they will remain hungry. It's very much in line with what Jesus has been saying in much more private moments. It's not the healthy that need a physician. It's the unhealthy. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. His point is not that being rich or full or happy are negative things, but in those moments, recognize I'm as needy as I ever was. The reason that there's such a danger in wealth is that it can be so easy to think you've got everything under control, that you need nothing. It is easier to recognize our need when we are in need. I guess that part of it isn't all that counterintuitive. One thing to notice in the persecution side of this is that Jesus points out where this persecution often comes from, from where this persecution often comes. Inside, too often. So so your fathers did to the prophets. Who were the fathers? He's talking about Israel and how Israel used to treat their own prophets. Sometimes the persecution isn't coming from outside. Sometimes the hardship is coming from inside. And also, by the way, this doesn't mean that every time something hard is happening in your life, it's because of bad people around you. Sometimes people revile you, exclude you, scorn your name because you're mean. Because you're not nice to be around. Sometimes people don't like to be around you because of you, not because of Jesus. So don't assume that because you're being mistreated, maybe it's a moment to say, am I a jerk? Maybe, maybe people would treat me differently if I weren't a jerk. But he's saying sometimes, though, you're going to be treated this way 
And it will be purely because of the Son of Man. Because you're genuinely trying to follow Christ and you're being mocked, ridiculed, excluded, reviled for it. He says, rejoice. Do you value neediness? Do you value hardship? He says, you're blessed in the midst of that. And we might think that hardship and mistreatment even when it comes from inside the body. We might think that it gives you a reason, uh, uh, an excuse that, that you then get to treat those people the way they deserve. We would be wrong. The second counterintuitive point is, who do you love? In verses 27 to 36, Jesus corrects this wrong-headedness about how we treat people who have mistreated us or probably said more accurately, wrong-heartedness. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And then he gives specific examples as if that wasn't enough. He says, so, for example, if someone strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other cheek. Now, often we think this is his statement about being passive, and if someone's going to hurt you, let them hurt you twice. Uh, that's, not, that's not what he's saying. Remember, in this culture, how did, you, how did you greet each other in the street? Like, they didn't do the little holy handshake. That's not what Paul says at the end of every letter. He doesn't say, greet each other with a holy high five. He doesn't say, greet each other with a holy handshake or even the ever more holy side hug. What does he say? How do you greet each other with what? A holy what? Yeah, kiss. So, good job. Uh, Greet each other with a holy kiss. So, when he's saying when someone strikes you on the cheek, offer him friendship. Like, offer him the other cheek. Offer to receive him. Treat him the way he doesn't deserve to be treated. If someone takes your cloak... Give give him your tunic also. This makes no sense to any of us. So if someone takes your jacket, give him your shirt. If he takes your shirt, give him your T-shirt. If someone is demanding, it says begging of you. Like, it's really, if someone's demanding something from you, well, give it to him and don't, don't expect, don't expect to get it back. Now remember, this isn't, this isn't a passage about, this is how you treat everyone in the world. This is a passage about how do you treat people who are personally involved in your life and are mistreating you. I was listening uh, last week to uh, he, uh, some news updates from, from a Christian perspective and just talking about some of the things going on in the Ukraine and that the Russians are doing and that are literally evil things that they're doing to the Ukrainians. And at the end of the pass, at the end of the update, the person said, now remember, the Bible tells us to treat everyone the same, both those who love us and our enemies. And so we're to love uh, people who do these things. And I would just say to you, that's not true. 
Now, if you are in the Ukraine and there's a soldier there and doing things like that, then maybe that's something you're supposed to be wrestling with. But you and me loving the Russians is a misapplication of this passage. Jesus would be defending the weak. He would be calling us to defend the weak. He hates and has always hated the abuse of power. I mean, if you read the passages in Scripture, this is so not in my notes, I apologize. If you read Scripture, when Jesus is angry, it's over the abuse of power. It's over how others are sinning against other people. When Jesus is sad, it's over how people are treating him. You and I get that backwards. Someone mistreats me, I'm angry. Someone mistreats someone else, oh, that's too bad. That kind of hurts. That's a little, I'm, I'm sad. This, uh, this passage is about how people are treating you or mistreating you. Mistreating you again because of Jesus, not because you're a jerk. And it's not Jesus just doing his best impression of the red hot chili peppers. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Jesus is summarizing it with these words. As you wish others would treat you, you treat them. So like, I know that sometimes I'm supposed to like make this apply to kids. I don't know how to make this easier for you kids than what Jesus just said. The way you want someone to treat you, treat them. The way you want to be treated is how you ought to act. And we, as your parents, do a horrible job of modeling that for you. And we are sorry. Most of us live by, as others have done to you, you do to them. Or sometimes we're more preventative medicine. Before others do to you, you do to them. We, we don't always live our lives according to how Jesus says we ought. We live them the way the world says. This is how the world works. If you don't do this, you will be taken advantage of. Well, you're in luck. Jesus addressed that already. So like sometimes people are going to demand things from you. Okay, give it to them. Jesus' point is that living, life in the kingdom looks different. The things we value, the way we live, the way we treat each other, even the way you treat people who, who are icky, like people who don't deserve to be loved, you love them. People who haven't earned your love, you, you love them. And he even says, you know, this is where he kind of starts. He, he says, you know, uh, if you love people who love you, uh, newsflash, everyone does that. Like you don't get a star. You don't get a pat on the back. When you love people, if you treat people well who are treating you well, I mean, that's just normal. I mean, of the choices. So someone loves you and you are mean to them, you're a monster. Like, they're being nice to you, you're being mean to them. It's just mean. 
someone's being nice to you, and so you're nice to them, uh, just normal. It's, that's just the way it ought to be. Someone's not nice to you. Jesus says, this is where the kingdom looks different. Someone doesn't deserve to be treated well, you treat them well. Loving people who love you, helping people who can help, can repay you. Jesus says, no, no, no. You love your enemies. You do good. You lend and don't expect anything in return. And when you do these things, you will be sons of the Most High. Because you know what? The Father, He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So I love what Jesus does with this. So he starts out by saying, uh, don't just love people who love you. That's what sinners do. Like, this is interesting because Jesus never uses this other than when he's like ridiculing. Like, it's always the outsiders. It's always people saying, oh, Jesus hangs out with sinners. Oh, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Oh, why do you eat with sinners? Jesus doesn't talk about people as sinners, yet here he is. He's like, if, you know, how, how much better than those yucky people that you're always talking about are you if you love people who love you? Don't those, those sinners do that? You don't want to be like them. Oh, well, who should we be like? You should be like your father. Who's kind to who? To sinners? No, worse than that. He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And who has he been kind to? You. You. The disciples who have been brought into his kingdom, into his presence. He's saying, by the way, you're not just sinners. You are evil, unkind people. And the Father has been kind to you. You are ungrateful and evil, and the Father has been kind to you. Be merciful, because you realize your Father in heaven has been merciful. Mercy, by definition, is not treating someone the way they deserve to be treated. It is not denying that people who are mean deserve to be treated badly. The point is not that, no, they don't deserve it. No, you don't understand. No, they deserve it. You are right. They deserve it. Don't do it. Mercy is saying, you deserve justice. You deserve punishment. I won't do it. I refuse. I will love you. I'll treat you the way you don't deserve to be treated because somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm remembering that my father has treated me the way I don't deserve to be treated. And so Jesus moves, and we'll move quickly through the common sense passages. Around our table, uh, this guy shows up every once in a while. It's usually we call each other this name, Judgey McJudgerson. Uh, and it's, it's never a compliment, as you probably suspect. Um, Jesus moves into the common sense that sadly just isn't very common anymore. Don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn others, you won't be condemned. Forgive others, and they'll forgive you. The way you give to others is the way you should expect to be given. You ever notice, like, our attitude toward French fries changes depending on whose fries they are? Like, so if they're my fries and I share with you, 
I have a certain expectation of what you're going to take. Like maybe you're going to take two, but they better be small. And if you take more than two, they better be the soggy ones. Because these are what? My fries. Now, if they're your fries, and I ask, oh, can I have some? And you say yes. Well, then I assume you understand you have a ton of fries. You shouldn't eat all of them anyway. It's not very good for you. I'm actually doing you a favor by taking a large handful off the top. Jesus says, you know, the way you give to others, the way you're generous with others, the way you pour out for others, like that's, that's how they're going to pour out for you. That's how they're going to give back to you. The way you treat other people. He makes a transition to an almost uh, just seemingly more obvious point. He says, you know, remember, can a blind man lead a blind man? Because remember, this, this whole sermon isn't about how can, I, how can I distinguish between people inside and people outside. He's saying, no, no, no. This is how you live inside the kingdom doesn't care who's inside and who's outside. You treat them all well. He says, like, why would he ask the question, can a blind man lead a blind man? His implication is like, like you judging other people, that's so blind. You're acting like, do you not see how God is on the regular dealing with you? How he's treating you? I know that there are good things, or at least I hear that there are good things on Facebook. I still think that it could just, the whole name of that system could just be changed to spec scans for log faces. Because I feel like Facebook, you really got to wade through a lot of Judgy McJudgerson to finally find a video of a cat which halfway through you remember, I don't even like cats. Why am I so impressed with this? And so we're, uh, we're running out of time, but uh, it's worth just kind of doing this. I got to find someone that doesn't trust me, though. Ariana, come here a minute. We need to... So I'm not going to... Come on up. I'm not going to lick this because that would be gross. I'm going to let you lick it and then don't put it in your eye. Just kind of put it like where a tear would fall out of your eye. Just kind of stick it there. Great. You got it? All right, now stand right there. Kind of face so that they can see you. And I am going to get that off of you. Ready? Okay, now, now don't move. I have done this so many times. Is she, is she moving? I, I can't really see. How close are we? Are we close? Yeah, so thank you. Yes, you can take that off and return to your seat. Now, I accomplished several things with this, by the way. One, everyone always likes that thud when I hit my head with a piece of wood. Two, uh, my best friend in high school made this for me. Noah, you can come talk to me afterwards and I'll show you his handiwork. Uh, three, 
I know many of you were wishing that I was going to call on you, but here's a slight problem at this church, and it's, not only, it's only a problem in moments like this. Some of you would have let me do that. You are so trusting of your pastor. You would have just been like, yes, stick that knife in my eye. I know Pastor Bailey only has my best intentions and thought. And so I'm sorry that I did not call on you, but it's, uh, I feel like it's because you, you, you trust me. And I needed someone more middle school. At middle school, you start thinking, I don't know if I trust that guy anymore. So that was perfect. Thank you, Ariana. And I'll, I'll earn your trust again. How ridiculous is it that we're so blind to our own needs and all we see are the things that are going wrong in other people's lives? Jesus says, look, stop, just stop. Now, he doesn't say, don't take care of it. He says, listen, get rid of the log so you can actually see to help. I mean, we ought to be helping each other. We just ought not to be judging each other. You know, we, um, we just don't always know where people are in their journey. I mean, maybe the person that you see struggling with a temper, you didn't know him 10 years ago and don't know what Christ and the Holy Spirit have done in a miraculous way in his life. Maybe the, uh, the person whose language is just a little too strong, Maybe those words that slip out occasionally are nothing compared to to the tapestry of obscenity they wove that, as far as we know, is still hanging over Lake Michigan today. Jesus, Jesus says, listen, you're looking for fruit in all the wrong places. And again, it's... It would be bizarre that Jesus would transition from don't judge each other to, hey, here's a good way to judge each other. No, no, he's still talking about you. What is the fruit you're producing? Does does a good tree bear bad fruit? Does a bad tree bear good fruit? Do you you look for thorns on, do you look for, for figs on thorn bushes? What's coming out? What's coming out of you? It's, he says, listen, it's, it comes from the roots. He says, look at two things in your life. Look at the fruit. Look at your actions. But also look at your words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That cuts a little, doesn't it? See, our verses read more like, out of a hard day at work, the mouth speaks. Out of a lack of sleep, the mouth speaks. Out of what she did, out of what he did, out of what they did, the mouth speaks. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not that, it's not that there's not bad things coming in, but what is overflowing? What is drowning out the rest of your heart? Like, does, does the situation in your life drown out your memory that I, I belong to Christ? I'm okay. It's going to be okay. Yes, I'm weeping now. Yes, this is hard now. Yes, I haven't laughed in months. But I belong to Christ, and he hasn't abandoned me. 
Like, does that drown out the rest? Is that the abundance of what's in your heart? Or does the abundance of what's in your heart drown out that memory that I belong to Christ? And so then, out of that, the mouth speaks. We know that Jesus is focusing our eyes inward on our fruit rather than outward on other people's fruit because of his conclusion. And I know we may not use the outdated 80s slang, but I think too many of us, we approach Jesus with this sense of, he's my bro, he's my homeboy. Maybe he's my coach or my cheerleader. At best, he's my guru. We've talked about uh, theocadism. Or maybe we haven't. The idea that Jesus is just your caddy. You know, some of you golf. I don't, so this is as much as I can get into it. Uh, You have a caddy. He carries your burden for you. He offers advice. But whether you take the advice or not is really up to you. And if his advice is good, you flip him 10% at the end of the game. Hmm. That sounds pretty accurate. Is that Jesus? Is Jesus our caddy? Jesus says, you know, you call me Lord, but but you don't do what I tell you. Like So here, like here it is. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, if you're going to call me Lord, yes, Jesus calls himself the friend of sinners. But he, he, he can't be your friend if he's not who he is. Like, you can't claim to be someone's friend and deny thing, truths about them. You know, if I, if I wanted to say that, you know, that, that Chris and I are friends, at some point I have to acknowledge the beard. Like, I can't, I can't be saying, oh, no, well, the Chris, I mean, my friend Chris is clean-shaven. Well, and he has hair. He's like, he's upside down, Chris. Like, that's not Chris. And no matter what I say about my friendship with Chris, denying some truth about Chris, and that's just a silly truth. Like, Jesus isn't just, this isn't just some silly personal characteristic. This isn't like, oh, my nickname is Lord of the Universe. Uh, No, that's actually who he is. And so to say that Jesus is your friend actually is saying, I acknowledge Jesus is Lord and he has befriended me. And he says, like, how, what do you, how do you call me Lord and not even listen to me? And again, this is, this is a reminder of like, this is what life inside the kingdom looks like. Like, as we, as we seek to live our lives in the kingdom, we recognize that, yeah, Jesus is my friend. He's my Lord also. And he has, he, has, he has befriended me. He has treated me the way I don't deserve to be treated. I ought to reflect that to others here, to the crowds that are watching, because I, I am the ungrateful, evil who was not treated the way I deserve to be treated. And it's not just that he swept it under the rug and ignored it. Like he took what I deserved on himself, which this is the week of celebrating and remembering that.
that Christ died to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you don't call us slaves, you don't call us enemies, you don't call us corpses. Though indeed, we were all of these things. But to you, we are friends because you have made us that, not because we deserve it, but because you chose to love us. Jesus, would you make us into a people that reflect your love to others, a people that have your generosity in heart, Help us to see our, our poverty, our need, and that you have provided all we need. All in your name we pray. Amen.